0: Are you looking for a new kind of talk show? One that motivates and encourages you to follow your passions? Welcome to the Foxworth Theory with Eugenia Foxworth. You'll hear from a variety of guests from all walks of life. Now, here is your host, Eugenia Foxworth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Foxworth
1: Theory. I am your host, Eugenia Foxworth. This show is about entertainment, art, fashion, and business. And we will be talking to the movers and the shakers from around the world. And we are allowing them on the Foxworth Theory to tell their stories. And our special guest today is Mr. Warrington Hudlin. Mr. Hudlin is best known as the producer of landmark African-American films, House Party, Boomerang, and BB Kids, and television specials, Cosmic Sloth, and Unstoppable. His first films made back in the 1970s, Black at Yale, and Street Corner Stories have been restored and archived by Yale University. As the founding president of BFF, AKA the Black Filmmaker Foundation, Hudland has been a pioneering community organizer in the black film movement for four decades. Warrington Hudland, is the vice chairman of the Board of Trustees at the Museum of Moving Images, where he has been a trustee since 2002. He is an advisor to the Tribeca Film Festival and the Universal Hip Hop Museum. Again, welcome, Warrington Hudlin, to the Foxworth Theory. Good afternoon, Mr. Hudlin, and how are you?
2: Good, in, good evening, good afternoon. I am fine and delighted to be here.
1: Wow. Wow. There are so many films, so let's see. Who and are so popular, these films? They're so popular that um, from the 70s, they were restored by Yale and archived at Yale University.
2: So, when did you realize you wanted to be in the film business? I realized it when I went to, a, I was a freshman in college, and it was a movie playing on next, near campus. And it had a very unusual name. The movie said on the marquee, Sweet, Sweetback's Badass Song. And that's an unusual name for a movie. Let me check it out. So, I bought a ticket and I sat down. And right away, I do something that was different because the movie starts off, it says, Sweet better, song starring a black community. And I was like, huh, that's is unusual credits. And in the first scene, we see a black man uh, being harassed by the police and you see another black man being brutalized by the police. And Sweetback, and who was there simply as an unwilling uh, a spectator, intervened and ended up fighting the police and killing them for the next 90 minutes. The police are chasing it. What makes the film unique and revolutionary is that Sweet Sweet Back got away.
1: Ah, that is unusual.
2: And it was written, produced, directed, scored, and starred Melvin Van People.
1: I do remember seeing some of his films. And yes, you
2: know what I'm talking about. You're too young to see that movie. What are you talking
1: about? Oh, are you kidding? (laughs) Especially during the pandemic.
2: Mm, okay. Well, this movie came out in 1971, and it, it was a box office smash success. In fact, it's been said that the success of Sweet Sweetback gave rise to all the movies of the 70s, whether it be the um, Superfly and Foxy Brown and all those so-called exploitation movies, was because Hollywood says, hey, there's money out there. We need to go ahead and make some of it.
1: And, and that's what they've done. And right now, explain to us what the movie Black
2: like Yale was about. Sure. It was my senior thesis pro- project as a student. And because I was a student at, at Yale University, it occurred to me that I should uh, make a film that talked about that experience. And so I started off being a story of interviewing my classmates. But in the process of interviewing my classmates, I encountered this guy. And in fact, it was, the, the occasion was Stokely Carmichael had come to campus. And, and he was debating, and the debate got deeper and deeper and deeper. But the final round of the debate, everybody kind of dropped off because the last round was debating the primacy of matter. It's like, whoa, this is some deep stuff. And so afterwards, I walked to a young man who was debating with him. I said, hey, man, uh, I don't recognize you. Are you a graduate student here? He says, no. I said, well, I don't. I don't who, who are you? He told me that he had heard about Yale. And that he simply came to campus, didn't apply for admission, didn't enroll, simply started going to classes. I said, what? You did that? And he said he, his, he was from Philadelphia, and he, got, he was a, you know, a gangbanger and knew that if he stayed in Philadelphia, he would you know, end up dead, so he needed to get away. He just picked Yale out of the Directory and came to Yale and started going to classes. And he was so intelligent. He was submitting his papers to the professors and getting better grades the people who were enrolled students. So once I met him, I said, okay, to get my original idea, you're gonna be my movie. And that was my first movie to talk about him and his, and his incredible story. And
1: his name again, please? His
2: name, his name is Eugene Rivers. Today, he's a Reverend, Reverend Eugene Rivers. He's in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh
1: my God, that is amazing, amazing. Now, um... Explain to, um, well, you've already explained that, but I really would like to know more about um, Minister Riverton, but that can come on another show.
2: That's his name, Riverton? No, Rivers, Eugene Rivers. River. Eugene Rivers. I invite everybody to Google him. At one point, he was actually on the cover of Time Magazine. That's how incredible he is, Reverend <gasps> Eugene Rivers. I'll remember Eugenia Eugene. There you go. See, yes, right. I'm all set There's there.
1: Okay, now tell us about street, uh, street Corner Stories. I know this is going to be exciting. What was that film about? And which two are your favorite of the two films you produced in the 70s?
2: Well, you know, uh, films are like your children. You can't have preferences. You, you love all your kids the same way. And Street Concert was my second movie, and it was I was very influenced by uh, the, the great novelist Ralph Ellison, who talked about blues as not only a, a musical form, but as, a, but as an artistic sensibility. And so what I did, I used a technique called cinema verite, and very few filmmakers today use that. In fact, I can only think of maybe two other people who do it. But at, back in those days, a man named Frederick Wiseman, he was a pioneer of that style, and also D.A. Pennebaker was great. Pioneers of Cinema Verite technique. And that technique means that you don't interview people. You simply go with your camera and turn it on. And whatever happens, you record it. And the storytelling happens when you get back into the editing room and and cut it together so it makes sense. So I I was interested in being in this particular location on the corner uh, of this bar, where people would go before going to work. Do we have coffee and donuts and talk? And I realized the conversation they were having but very similar to the kind of lyrics of blues. They talk about the women in their lives, the the, the mean boss, you know, the, the jobs, the, the politics. So it became a any way a street corner stories are really blues stories. Oh,
1: that is amazing. It's amazing. Um, did any of those films win an Academy Award? I'm only joking,
2: no, but- no because listen, remember this is the 1970s. So uh, they were so, here's the irony. They were ignored in the United States. In fact, I tried to get to be shown. And uh, people like, one person asked me, street corner what language is it in? I said, it's in Black English. Well, I don't understand it. So I end up being, like many uh, people came before me, taking my work to Europe, like the jazz missions did and the, the novice did. So street corner stories, which Americans didn't want to show, end up being translated into uh, Swedish, Italian, German, and Dutch. So the, Europe recognized what we we're doing here in America, but the Americans are so racist they wouldn't. So I, as, as, as the modernization, began to say, okay, let's stop banging our head against the wall in the United States. Let's go to Europe. So it started around uh, uh, 1980 to like 85. I constantly took delegations to Europe where we got recognition and applause.
1: That's what they were all doing then, a lot of the things that I read. And some of the most famous people went to Europe, and here they are now. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that, name three films, more or less, that you've seen in the last year that you feel was the best you've seen in a while.
2: All three films had the same name. And and if any any of your viewers have Amazon Prime, you can watch it on Amazon Prime. The film is called Les Miserables. It's it's a film done, uh, two movies have the same name, so please don't get confused. There's a Les Miserables, which is a a, a musical. This is not that. It has the same title. It's set in the suburbs of Paris. And it's all black cast. It's all black um, it's about the, the disenfranchisement of poor Black people outside of Paris and the police brutality, the kind of George Floyd kind of stuff. And it's done by a filmmaker named Lodge Lee, who I met. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant young filmmaker. And that movie, to me, sets a, a major uh, standard.
1: I have to look for that film. Because I've, been, I've spent a lot of time in Europe, and I probably will recognize a lot of the section.
2: And, and by the way, that did get nominated for Academy Award. You asked me. Oh it right? did. This one got, did win, but it got nominated. as best foreign film.
1: Yeah, but it got nominated. That's See, right. times have changed.
2: In fact, someone so my brother, Reginald Hudson, produced the Academy Award a couple of years ago. So times have really changed.
1: Oh that
2: the beyond changed. I mean, but it's about time, don't you think? Well it's so funny. I I'm My politics is such that I think that as a community, as long as we let validation come outside, we will always be disenfranchised. So I don't look for uh, um, acknowledgement from the people I'm opposing.
1: I like that. I like that very much. Very much. Thank you. Who are some of your favorite actors uh, from the 70s, 80s and 90s? Wow. Uh-oh, don't get into
2: trouble now. <laughs> no, no, exactly. A lot of them are my friends. Lot, you're right. You're get me in big trouble. Um, Say what, let me mention the actor I just discovered the first time. And actually, I, my problem is I can't even pull his name up. But let me tell you what the film he's in. It's a TV series that is on, a, uh, on Netflix now. It's called Start Up. And uh, he's, uh, he's uh, not American. He's from um, Eritrea, you know, the, the country next to mm-hmm. Ethiopia. And he plays a Haitian drug dealer. But I know it sounds stereotypical, but it's not stereotypical in the slightest. It's the most complicated, complex, and brilliantly acted movie I've, TV series I've seen in many, many years. And I think he's extraordinary, just extraordinary. So the movie's called Startup. So for your viewers who have Netflix, please check it out. It's... Um, It's three seasons, which means there's a total of 30 episodes. Really? Yep.
1: 30 episodes? Yes. That's amazing. I better start now. Yeah. Yeah, really?
2: But but let me warn you. It's addictive. I started. I said, let me take a peek. I couldn't stop. I watched 10 episodes in one day, woke up the next day, did another 10 episodes. These are hour long. But, But the storytelling is so rich and complex, you can't stop.
1: And see, that's the interesting part because I was not aware of it. But I am also sort of uh, obsessive, so now I'm going to obsess oh, until been, I you've
2: see. You've been warned. You've been warned. People oh, call me "Hey, man, have I not warned them? It's you can't stop. It's that good."
1: And coming from you, I am sure it's beyond that good.
2: You're very so, kind.
1: Now that I have a tendency to get you into trouble or, and you're staying out of trouble, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like a trick
2: question. All right, come on, come on.
1: Who are some of the actors and actresses who stand out to you currently?
2: <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, the, the, in the same show, the Startup, there's a young uh, Cuban American actress, very young, who's really, really good. Um, uh, there's sometimes there are people who are not in the main, for example, there's an independent film done last year called um, Miss Juneteenth. Didn't get recognized, but the lead actress in that is pretty amazing. So I'm very fascinated by people who, um, who are not in the main spotlight, but show me a lot. Uh, there was a limited series called um, Treadstone, and it was a black British uh, uh, female uh, lead who I thought was pretty amazing. People are talking about they should be a Black James Bond. Well, she should be the Black James Bond. Because she, she, she's a good actress. She's very attractive. And she, could, she, had, she had action shots. She could kick and punch. and shoot.
1: I'm curious. Um, uh, did any of these show at the film festival in Cannes? Do you know?
2: Uh, I don't know. But I wonder. Television. It's, it's television. These, everything I mentioned to you had been television, so that wouldn't be appropriate for it to be
1: It wouldn't be?
2: No, there's a film festival, not a, not a TV festival.
1: Not TV. I just wonder, because there are always things that show and eventually it moves here.
2: Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what are you going to like? I'm telling you right now, the, 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 one of the lead actors in, um, in um, Les Miserables, this guy is amazing. He came to a screening I held in New York, and I'm 6'2. So I'm, I mean, I'm usually taller than most people, but he said, oh, He's here, he's here. So I went out, you know, to welcome him to the show. So I opened the door real fast, and I look for it, and I'm looking at this guy's chest. I said, Wait a minute, I'm 6'2. I put my head back, this guy's standing over top of me, and I'm like, Whoa! And he's, um, he, uh, he's, again, he's, he's French, black Frenchman, but he looks like like you know those, those drawings or superhero drawings where the guys have shoulders this wide but little tiny waist? Yes. Super nice guy. But like this I said, man, you need to be a movie star. He could be in those, those superhero movies, because he look like a superhero in real life.
0: Hmm. But so
2: you you got you got, you got another reason to watch Late Mr. this evening. I
1: I I have to. I have to. Um what is your all time favorite movie to watch? And you could watch it over and over again. You've already told me.
2: Well, I know. There actually, must my, be another. My, no, my, actually, I haven't told you my all time. You said all time. All time yes. favorite the movie called The Battle of Algiers. It was made in 1969 by an Italian director named Gillo Pontecorvo. And it, it takes place in the Algerian Revolution in the late 60s. And it is. Just, it's brilliant. I, I, I watched it recently, as a matter of fact. It's just stunning. I, you know, recorded it whenever I needed to be inspired. to excellence I look at that movie.
1: See, I'm listening to you, and there are things that I miss. We used to have the art movies. hmm And they're sort of going away.
2: No, they're still there. They're, they're
1: still there? Absolutely but you're
2: not seeing them, maybe because of... Well, actually, at the museum, at the, the, the Moving Image, which, you know, where I'm the vice chairman, we show yes. it on a regular basis. Although right now, I'm very concerned because of COVID. It's, yes, we're all very cautious. But no, places like the Museum of Moving Image, places like the Museum of Modern Art, places like Thott, the Anthology Film Archive, um, um, those movies do exist. They're not in the commercial theaters, that's all.
1: Yeah, because I used to go to Queens. Now I don't, you know, because of the pandemic. Sure. Because I used to enjoy going yeah. over there. So, of course, I never saw you, but uh, I would have, I would have remembered because I'm all of five foot three, but with a tall attitude. So
2: yeah, there you go, that's right.
1: <laughs> but I would have noticed you. Well, at this time. We have to take a short break and I cannot wait to come back. Um, You are now watching the Foxware Theory and I'm your host. Please stay and return. Thank you so much. Sustainable architecture means building not only for the present, but for the future, using efficient materials.
0: This is a six-story bespoke home on the island of Bali. It's built almost entirely from bamboo. We must build for our future because we are living in the homes we build. We are using the buildings around us. Why shouldn't we have a say? We build. It matters what we build. Architects already know how to make buildings that are greener and smarter and friendlier. We've just been waiting for all of you to want them the Internet's number one talk station, number one talk station, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to the Foxworth Theory with Eugenia Foxworth. Now back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back to the Foxworth Theory, and I am your host. Eugenia Foxworth, and our special guest that has left me waiting with bated breath is Mr. Warrington Hudlin. Now, Mr. Hudlin, how have you been able to stay active and positive throughout the COVID-19?
2: That's a very timely question because I made a major, major shift in order to remain productive. As you know, I have a long history in film and television, but that has been all shut down because it's not been safe for for the cast nor the crew. So it was something else I've been tracking for years, but almost just passively. But the COVID made me turn my attention to pretty focus on it exclusively. And I am so excited and delighted. I have made a transition from film and TV into virtual reality. And now I'm creating content in virtual reality, and it's really exciting. I use a device that's available to the public called the Oculus Quest 2. It's a headset, and when you put it on, you really don't need your TV ever again. You go into another world of just rich entertainment. And is that
1: those big goggles?
2: Yes, yes.
1: Ah, I've been seeing that people have been exercising and wearing that yeah, as well.
2: Yeah, I do one. Yeah, I do. I do everything in that travel, exercise. It's just amazing. Oh,
1: that is amazing. See, everyone is pivoted. Look at all the things.
2: Well, because the, because the life is pivoted around us, you know. It's it's um, and unfortunately, people simply won't get back to normal. I'm not sure when that's going, if and when that's going to be. But so, have we
1: ever been normal?
2: Well, and also, was was normal any good for us? Right. right before I, I, I uh, logged on to your show, I was flying above my neighborhood looking down at uh, the lower Manhattan. So it's like amazing. It's like whether they go buy a hundred dollar helicopter ride, you can put the goggles on and do the same thing.
1: Wow, that's great. And you save money and it's safer.
2: There you go. <laughs> sure.
1: So. Um, There have been several black films that have done amazing at the box office. Do you feel that Hollywood knows the power of black and brown stories that have nothing to do with death and drugs and being in the films? Mm -hmm.
2: They do, because uh, one of them is is produced by um, uh, a woman who's a a friend of mine. I've known her family for Hundred years, Uh, the movie is a series. It's called Fast and Furious. So it's Vin Diesel, and uh, his sister is my friend, and she's uh, Samantha Vincent. And I I know I know their parents. I mean, we go back when they were kids, and now they are the biggest. All those movies they make, uh, I think the last one did over a billion dollars. I mean, it's huge, and those movies are you know high octane entertainment. And of course, the other big movie was Black Panther, which did over a billion dollars. So clearly when, when people have opportunities to keep control and tell the stories, they have tremendous commercial success.
1: And I would love to see more and more, but I think so. There's a whole new young group of screenwriters in L.A. A lot of women are out there now, too.
2: I- mm-hmm. But the, the question is, it was never, we never lack talent. We have locked opportunities. So you can write the best screenplay ever, but someone has to say, yes, here's the money to do it. But that's where we have not seen enough movement. But I see some movement there, too. For the first time, there are Black women, interesting enough, who are head of studios. Orion Pictures uh, is, is run by a Black woman. TriStar Pictures is run by a Black woman. Uh, or Walt, uh, Warner Brothers Television Studios is run by a Black woman. So this, this is a new day
1: and it's wonderful i mean it's i don't know it's just wonderful but people such as you have paved the way for all of us because it's a whole different and it's a whole different thing i'm saying like you paving the way for us i'm a part of the pavers too i'm only 29. that's right
2: i thought so i i said 28 but
1: yeah oh. <laughs> i'm sorry So you have been a part of some groundbreaking films: um, House Party, Boomerang, and BB's Kids.
2: BB's Kids, baby. 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 I don't.
1: I don't know. Baby.
2: No, you pronounce BB. It's pronounced.
1: Oh, baby. Yeah. I did not
2: see that one. Okay. It's because it was animated. That's probably why you didn't see it. It's, it's, oh,
1: okay. Yeah, because it's, I try to see things.
2: But that uh, one, do you remember the actor Robin Harris? Yes. Robin Harris, well, it was he had his signature comedy routine. was called Baby's Kids, It's about a, woman, a guy going out with a woman who would see bad kids. And so he was one of the stars of House Party. And I was supposed to direct Baby's Kids following House Party. But unfortunately, he passed away. Rather so than have it just go away, we decided to keep it going, but animate it since he wasn't with us.
0: Oh,
1: okay. And you told me about Bebe's kids, which, um, you know, I decided to ask you something else, but okay. I just wanted to ask you exactly, you know, since all of this is so exciting to me, was it as exciting to you during those periods? And what was your life like then? I mean, I'm living vicariously through your
2: conversation. Well, well, thank you. But it was exciting because, um, because in the beginning, there was such hostility to, to independent filmmakers. I never expected to be on that side into the Hollywood system. And so when the doors opened, it was exciting. And, and it was exhilarating to do those movies and, and be on the inside. But ultimately, it led to a disappointment because I realized that Hollywood was only willing to make allow me to do comedy. You know, and 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 my comedy had had, had meaning to it, but my interest is broader than comedy. And so ultimately I decided, you know, this is not a place, with a famous quote, no place to be somebody. So I had to let it go because I c I wouldn't accept the restraints, the constraints of the other type of stories I could tell. So I went back to being an independent filmmaker, which is why I was so prepared when this new opportunity to work in virtual reality presented itself.
1: Okay, I, I was wondering, but I was hoping that it, you know, some segments of our lives can be a little softer, but I guess it's all the same.
2: Listen, compared to our ancestors, it is softer.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. We, we,
2: we got no chains or whips on it, so we, we got it easy compared to our ancestors.
1: That's true. That's true. So what was it like working with the late, great comedian, Robin Harris?
2: He was the funniest person I ever met in my life. He was just nonstop. And, and if you made the mistake to think you could be quicker than him, you, you got quickly disabused of that presumption. He was just funny, nice, wonderful person
1: and laughter is the elixir of life. And that's what I love. I love laughter. It's hard on the face, but it's okay. <laughs> but um, I'm glad to hear that. But what do you love most about what you do in the film industry?
2: I, I think it's the it's, it's ability to tell stories that don't get told, things that we know are important and vital and and. and hopeful and insightful, but somehow we don't get to tell them. And so in film, you know, you can tell those stories that are kept off camera, off scene. So that's the, the pleasure and the opportunity.
1: That's what I wonder. Okay, so what have you had to sacrifice to be where you are today? Only partial, not all.
2: No, no the, the, the central thing is that you have to keep your rent low. If you want to be, you know, there's you know those, so hope, you know, hope I'm not excusing language I can't use, but you heard the expression, fuck you, money. But you can, you can, they can have so much that you can tell people, hey, fuck you, I do what I want. Or you can reduce your rent so low and your overhead so low, you can say the same thing. And so what my strategy is, I can always say no. I will always walk away because they have nothing, they, can, they can't, they can't, bribe me. They can't entangle me in any way. And so the sacrifice I made is not to have uh, a, a, a luxury lifestyle, you know. I mean, afterwards, I've never owned a car in my life. You know, I this really kept my life really, really simple. And so therefore, if, if somebody gives me a script that I don't like, yep, I'm out. Nope, never mind. There have, been, there have been movies offered to me that I said no to that you know, I knew that the circumstances evil was, was not right or the story was not right. So I didn't want to do them. So you, we as human beings need to have the ability to say no. We should never say yes because of money. Free yourself from money and you have true freedom.
1: You're a That's man true. after my heart.
2: That and fear, because they also can threaten you too. So you have to be willing to you know, not be afraid. There's two ways, so they can... They, they said, they either offer you a bribe or a bullet, you know, gold or lead. You got to be able to say no to both of them.
1: But that's your inner spirit and your belief and your
2: background that has yes. made and, and, you so strong. And, and, my, and, and my inspiration, you know, my, my background, uh, again, I mentioned Melvin Van Peebles was a great inspiration to me. But that person who was very inspiration to me was Harry Belafonte.
1: Uh-huh. I mean,
2: he did so much, my God. And even before I met him, there was a woman who was a great influence on me in my, in my teenage years, a woman named Catherine Dunham.
1: Oh, yes.
2: She, I consider her like my godmother. So she really got me into, into the arts and understanding of our African heritage.
1: Like, you know, I've seen plays. I've met people and young dancers that, you know, they're from the Catherine Dunham school yes, and things. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's, we have such a rich, rich, rich history.
2: In fact, I was, I was, I performed for as a drummer back in those days.
1: Oh, really? I met a, a couple. Uh, there was a, I can't remember the names, but they were from Brazil. And mm-hmm. you know, you have a party and they're Brazilians in New York and they all come. Well, yeah. it was an older couple and the gentleman was a drummer from Brazil, Cuban. Yeah. Cuba,
2: not Brazil, okay. Cuba. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Estrella, is that the name? I don't know, I can't okay. remember, but.
2: but. But she was, she was one of the first, I think it was a guy named, uh, I'm, I'm not gonna score his name because I'll be wrong, but she was first started to bring Cuban drummers to the United States. And the, the person was my teacher's name named Renee Rene Calvin. he was from Haiti. Then she, my other teacher she brought was from Senegal, his name, Mo Cham. So I was introduced to Cuban drums, to Haitian drums, to, to Senegalese drumming. So she's just a person who really knew where we came from and, and preserved that history. So I grew up with that influence and self-awareness because of her, her scholarship and her willingness to share. Yeah, I mean,
1: that's just, that's just wonderful. So now, who have you not worked with that you would like to work with?
2: No, it's funny. I don't know. Uh, no one pops in my head. Uh, okay.
1: That's fine. It will. What um, that means that you're fulfilled. Is there um, if you could change anything in the industry, what would it be?
2: White control. Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. But that's, we could do it as a people, but will we? Okay, on to the next subject. Next question. While you're thinking on who you'd like to work with, what are you most proud of? We have. What? what are you most proud of?
2: I'm most proud of my independence. The fact that I have not compromised, that I remain. Uh, I'm clear about what my principles are and I don't cross them. Uh, that, and I, I look at people, my, again, my elders, my ancestors, who were uncompromising. And that's my role model. I'm trying to be like them.
1: I think it's beautiful. And I, it's amazing. And it's great. At this time, please don't go away. We have to take a break. And you are... In, you are now tuned to the Foxware Theory. I'm your host, and our guest is Mr. Wallington Hutlin. We will be back and shortly, so please come back. Thank you. Architecture it starts with an idea it's bricks and mortar, concrete and glass, it's shelter, it's the places where we create, celebrate, dream, and grow. Architecture shapes our lives and is the footprint we leave behind. Discover more about how architecture shapes your life during the Architecture in the City Festival this September 1st through 30th. Visit www.aiasf.org. Welcome back to the Foxworth Theory and I am your host, Eugenia Foxworth, and our special guest that has left me Waiting with bated breath is Mr. Warrington Hudlin. Now, Mr. Hudlin, how have you been able to stay active and positive throughout the COVID-19?
2: That's a very timely question, because I made a major, major shift in order to remain productive. As you know, I have a long history in film and television. But that has been all shut down because it's not been safe for for the cast nor the crew. So it was something else I've been tracking for years, but almost just passively. But the COVID made me turn my attention to pretty focus on it exclusively. And I am so excited and delighted. I have made a transition from film and TV into virtual reality. And now I'm creating content in virtual reality, and it's really exciting. I use a device that's available to the public called the Oculus Quest 2. It's a headset, and when you put it on, you really don't need your TV ever again. You go into another world of just rich entertainment. And is that
1: those big goggles?
2: Yes, yes.
1: Ah, I've been seeing that people have been exercising and wearing that yeah. as well.
2: Yeah, I do one. Yeah, I do. I do everything in that travel, exercise. It's just amazing. Oh,
1: that is amazing. See, everyone is pivoted. Look at all the things. Well,
2: because the, because the life is pivoted around us, you know. It's it's um, and unfortunately, people simply won't get back to normal. I'm not sure when that's going, if and when that's going to be. But so, have
1: we ever been normal?
2: Well, and also, was was normal any good for us? Right. right before I, I, I uh, logged on to your show, I was flying above my neighborhood looking down at uh, the lower Manhattan. So it's like amazing. It's like whether to go buy a hundred dollar helicopter ride, you can put the goggles on and do the same thing.
1: Wow, that's great. And you save money and it's safer.
2: There you go. <laughs> sure.
1: So. Um, There have been several black films that have done amazing at the box office. Do you feel that Hollywood knows the power of black and brown stories that have nothing to do with death and drugs and being in the films? Mm -hmm.
2: They do, because uh, one of them is is produced by um, uh, a woman who's a a friend of mine. I've known her family for Hundred years, Uh, the movie is a series. It's called Fast and Furious. So it's Vin Diesel, and uh, his sister is my friend, and she's uh, Samantha Vincent. And I I know I know their parents. I mean, we go back when they were kids, and now they are the biggest. All those movies they make, uh, I think the last one did over a billion dollars. I mean, it's huge, and those movies are you know high octane entertainment. And of course, the other big movie was Black Panther, which did over a billion dollars. So clearly when, when people have opportunities to keep control and tell the stories, they have tremendous commercial success.
1: And I would love to see more and more, but I think so. There's a whole new young group of screenwriters in L.A. A lot of women are out there now,
2: too. I- mm-hmm. But the, the question is, it was never, we never lack talent. We have locked opportunities. So you can write the best screenplay ever, but someone has to say, yes, here's the money to do it. But that's where we have not seen enough movement. But I see some movement there, too. For the first time, there are Black women, interesting enough, who are head of studios. Orion Pictures uh, is, is run by a Black woman. Tristar Pictures is run by a Black woman. Uh, or Walt, uh, Warner Brothers Television Studios is run by a Black woman. So this, this is a new day
1: and it's wonderful i mean it's i don't know it's just wonderful but people such as you have paved the way for all of us because it's a whole different and it's a whole different thing i'm saying like you paving the way for us i'm a part of the pavers too i'm only 29. that's
2: right i thought so i I said 28 but yeah
1: I'm sorry. So you have been a part of some groundbreaking films: um, House Party, Boomerang, and BB's Kids.
2: Baby's Kids, baby. Baby. I don't.
1: I don't know. Baby.
2: No, I, you pronounce BB. It's pronounced.
1: Bebe. Oh, baby. Yeah. I did not
2: see that one. Okay. It's because it was animated. That's probably why you didn't see it. It's, it's, oh,
1: okay. Yeah, because it's, I try to see things.
2: But that uh, one, do you remember the actor Robin Harris? Yes. Robin Harris, well, it was, he had his signature comedy routine. was called Baby's Kids, It's about a woman, a guy going out with a woman who would see bad kids. And so he was one of the stars of House Party. And I was supposed to direct Baby's Kids following House Party. But unfortunately, he passed away. Rather so than have it just go away, we decided to keep it going, but animate it since he was not with us.
1: Oh, okay. Who and are so popular these films? They're so popular that um, from the seventies they were restored by Yale and archived at Yale University. So, when did you realize you wanted to be in the film business?
2: I realized it when I went to, a, I was a freshman in college and it was a movie playing on next, near campus and it had a very unusual name. The movie said on the marquee, Sweet, Sweetback's Badass Song. And that's an unusual name for a movie. Let me check it out. So I bought a ticket and I sat down and right away I did something was different because the movie starts off, it says, Sweet, Sweetback's Badass Song Starring... A black community. And I was like, huh? That's the unusual cadets. And in the first scene, we see a black man uh, being harassed by the police, and you see another black man being brutalized by the police. And Sweetback, and who was there simply as an unwilling uh, a spectator, intervened and ended up fighting the police and killing them. For the next 90 minutes, the police were chasing them. What make the film unique? and revolutionary is that sweet, sweet back got away.
1: Ah, that is unusual.
2: And it was written, produced, directed, scored, and starred Melvin Van Peebles.
1: I do remember seeing some of his films and he has a <laughs> you, you
2: know what I'm talking about. You're too young to see that movie, what are you talking
1: about? Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> Especially during the pandemic.
2: Mm, okay. But well, this movie came out in 1971, and it, it was a box office smash success. In fact, it's been said that the success of Sweet Sweetback gave rise to all the movies of the 70s, whether it be the um, Superfly and Foxy Brown and all those so-called exploitation movies, was because Hollywood says, hey, there's money out there. We need to go ahead and make some of it.
1: And, and that's what they've done. And right now, explain to us what the movie Black
2: Yale was about? Sure. It was my senior thesis pro- project as a student. And because I was a student at, at Yale University, it occurred to me that I should uh, make a film that talked about that experience. And so I started off being a story of interviewing my classmates. But in the process of interviewing my classmates, I encountered this guy. And in fact, it was, the, the occasion was Stokely Carmichael. I had to come to campus. And, and he was debating and the debate got deeper and deeper and deeper. But the final round of the debate, everybody kind of dropped off because the last round was debating the primacy of matter. It's like, whoa, this is some deep stuff. And so afterwards I walked to a young man who was debating with him. I said, hey man, uh, I don't recognize you. Are you a graduate student here? He says, no. I said, well, I don't, I don't who, who are you? He told me that he had heard about Yale, and that he simply came to campus, didn't apply for admission, didn't enroll, simply started going to classes. I said, what, you did that? And he said he, his, he was from Philadelphia and he, got, he was a, you know, a gangbanger and knew that if he stayed in Philadelphia, he would you know, end up dead, so he needed to get away. He picked Yale out of the Directory and came to Yale and started going to classes. And he was so intelligent. He was submitting his papers to the professors and getting better grades that people who were enrolled students. So once I met him, I said, okay, to get my original idea, you're going to be my movie. And that was my first movie to talk about him and his, and his incredible story. And his name again,
1: please? His
2: name, his name is Eugene Rivers. Today he's a Reverend, Reverend Eugene Rivers. He's in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh
1: my God, that is amazing, amazing. Now, um, Explain to, um, well, you've already explained that, but I really would like to know more about uh, Minister Riverton, but that can come on another show.
2: That's his name, Riverton? No, Rivers, Eugene Rivers. Eugene
1: Rivers. I invite
2: everybody to Google him. At one point, he was actually on the cover of Time magazine. That's how incredible he is. Reverend Eugene Rivers.
1: I'll remember Eugenia Eugene.
2: There you go. See? yes, right.
1: I'm all set There's there. Okay, now tell us about street, uh, street Corner Stories. I know this is going to be exciting. What was that film about? And which two are your favorite of the two films you produced in the 70s?
2: Well, you know, uh, films are like your children. You can't have preferences. You, you love all your kids the same way. And Street Show was my second movie, and it was I was very influenced by uh, the, the great novelist Ralph Ellison, who talked about blues as not only a, a musical form, but as, a, but as an artistic sensibility. And so what I did, I used a technique called cinema verite, and very few filmmakers today use that. In fact, I can only think of maybe two other people who do it. But at, back in those days, a man named Frederick Wiseman, he was a pioneer of that style, and also D.A. Pennybaker was great. Pioneers of Cinema Verite technique. And that technique means that you don't interview people. You simply go with your camera and turn it on. And whatever happens, you record it. And the storytelling happens when you get back into the editing room and, and cut it together so it makes sense. So I, I was interested in being in this particular uh, location in, on the corner of this bar where people would go before going to work We have coffee and donuts and talk. And I realized the conversation they were having but very similar to the kind of lyrics of blues. They talk about the women in their lives, the the, the mean boss, you know, the, the jobs, the, the politics. So it became a many way three corner stories and really blue stories. Oh,
1: that is amazing. It's amazing. Um, did any of those films win an Academy Award? I'm only joking,
2: no, but- no because listen, remember this is the 1970s. So uh, they were so, here's the irony. They were ignored in the United States. In fact, I tried to get them shown. And uh, people were like, one person asked me, Street corners, what language is it in? I said, It's in Black English. Well, I don't understand it. So I end up being, like many uh, people came before me, taking my work to Europe, like the Jazz Missions did, and the, the Novice did. So Street Corner stories, which Americans didn't want to show, end up being translated into uh, Swedish. Italian, German, and Dutch. So the, Europe recognized what we're doing here in America, but the Americans are so racist they wouldn't. So I, as, as, as to my organization, began to say, okay, let's stop banging our head against the wall in the United States. Let's go to Europe. So it started around uh, uh, 1980 to like 85. I constantly took delegations to Europe where we got recognition and applause.
1: That's what they were all doing then, a lot of the things that I read. And some of the most famous people went to Europe, and here they are now. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that, name three films, more or less, that you've seen in the last year that you feel was the best you've seen in a while.
2: All three films have the same name. And and if any, any of your viewers have Amazon Prime, you can watch it on Amazon Prime. The film is called Les Miserables. It's it's a film done, uh, two movies have the same name, so please don't get confused. There's a Les Miserables, which is a a musical. This is not that. It has the same title. It's set in the suburbs of Paris, and it's all black cast. It's all black. um, It's about the the disenfranchiser of poor black people outside of Paris and the police brutality, the kind of George Floyd kind of stuff. And it's done by a filmmaker named Lars Lee, who I met, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant young filmmaker. And that movie, to me, sets a uh, major uh, standard.
1: I have to look for that film because I've been, I've spent a lot of time in Europe, and I probably will recognize a lot of the sections. And,
2: and by the way, that did get nominated for a Academy Award. You asked me. Oh, right? it did. This one got, did win, but it got nominated as best foreign film.
1: Yeah, but it got nominated. That's see, right. times
2: have changed. In fact, someone so my brother, Reginald Hudson, produced the Academy Awards a couple of years ago. So times have really changed.
1: Oh, that the beyond change. I mean, but it's about time, don't
2: you think? Well, it's so funny. I I'm my politics is such that I think that as a community, as long as we let validation come outside, we will always be disenfranchised. So I don't look for uh, um, from acknowledgment from the people I'm opposing.
1: I like that. I like that very much, very much. Thank you. Who are some of your favorite actors uh, from the seventies, eighties, and nineties? Wow. Uh oh! Don't get into trouble now.
2: No, no, exactly. <laughs> A lot of them are my friends, and I, You're right. would get me in big trouble. Um, let me mention the actor I just discovered the first time, and actually I, my problem is I can't even put his name up, but let me tell you what the film he's in. It's a TV series that is on, a, uh, on Netflix now. It's called Start Up, and uh, he's, uh, he's uh, not American. He's from um, Eritrea, you know, the, the country next mm-hmm. to Ethiopia, and he plays a Haitian drug dealer, but I know it sounds stereotypical, but it's not stereotypical in the slightest. It's the most complicated, complex, and brilliantly acted movie, I've seen, TV series I've seen in many, many years. And I think he's extraordinary. Yes, extraordinary. So the movie's called Startup. So for your viewers who have Netflix, please check it out. It's, um, it's three seasons, which means it's a total of 30 episodes. Really? Yep.
1: 30 episodes? Yes. Uh. That's amazing. I better start now. Yeah. yeah
2: well, really. I, I, but, but let me warn you, it's addictive. I started, I said, let me take a peek. I couldn't stop. I watched 10 episodes in one day, woke up the next day, did another 10 episodes. These are hour long. But, but the storytelling is so rich and complex, you can't stop.
1: And see, that's the interesting part, because I was not aware of it, but I am also sort of... Uh, Obsessive. So now I'm going to obsess until oh, I you,
2: see. You've been warned. You've been
1: warned.
2: Oh, hey, man. I've I, I, I warned him. You can't stop. It's that good. And coming from you, I am sure it's
1: beyond that good. You're very kind. So now that I have a tendency to get you into trouble or, and you're staying out of trouble, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like a trick.
2: All right, come on, come on.
1: Who are some of the actors and actresses who stand out to you currently?
2: (laughs) Okay. uh, uh, In the same show, Startup, there's a young uh, Cuban-American actress, very young, who's really, really good. Um, uh, There's, sometimes there are people who are not in the main, for example, there's an independent film done last year called uh, Miss Juneteenth did you get recognized with the lead actress, and that is pretty amazing. So I'm very fascinated by people who, um, who are not in the main spotlight, but show me a lot.
1: Oh, wow. I hope everyone um, has written this down. And therefore, if not, we can follow you on uh, social media.
2: Yeah, follow me on, 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 on uh, Instagram.
1: Instagram.
2: Yeah, I think I think my Instagram page is very interesting. It's filled with dance because my, my Dunham influence and also martial arts because I've done 50 years of martial arts study. So uh, Warrington Hutton and on Instagram is a good place to find me.
1: Great. I just want to say thank you. Thank our uh, audience for watching the Foxware Theory and We will be on every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Harlem America Digital Network and the Voice America Variety Channel. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Travel safely, everyone, and do be careful. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Foxworth Theory. Be sure to join us for new shows every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel, and the shows are also available on the Harlem America Digital Network. We'll talk again next week.